So far, we've been going verse by verse, looking at the scriptures, and we've learned several things about the life of Jesus according to Matthew. Number one, we have seen the affirmation of the Father. We've seen that Jesus received the affirmation of the Father, that God equipped his son, and then he went out to do ministry. It's very important to note that the affirmation came, and then Jesus went out to do ministry. And we learned that you and I need to receive the affirmation of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's goodness, so that we can go out and be the representatives he calls us to be. Affirmation is valuable. Second, we see how Jesus responded in the midst of great temptation. Very important to see the progression after affirmation, after the work of God, after a miracle, after a testimony, the enemy is going to try to come and take that away from us, right? So how did Jesus respond in the midst of temptation? He said, I will not follow my will. I will do the will of the Father. And we learn that times are going to come of testing and of trouble and of trial. And in that time, we can commit our will to the Father and he will strengthen us. After looking at the temptation of Jesus... We saw how Jesus chose to do life and ministry. And we said that we oftentimes just focus on the teachings, the morality of Scripture, but we don't focus on the person, Jesus, and how he did life. And that it's important not only to know what he said, but to know how he lived. And then we said that we want to make a commitment not only to say the right things, but to live the right way. I don't want to say the right things and live the wrong way. Right? There's enough of that. So we said when we looked at the life of Jesus, we noticed that Jesus counted the cost. He knew that it was going to cost him everything to give his life to follow God, to follow the will of the Father. He was a team-oriented, team-ministry-oriented individual. He didn't do ministry at all, but he gathered people around him who would do life, he would do life with, and he would invest, and he would prepare them, right? We also saw that he was light in the midst of darkness. He was, never, he was not intimidated of the darkness. As a matter of fact, when the darkness spotted him, the darkness started to cry out. That's, imagine the rock that way. Right? That we would not be intimidated of darkness, of some of the hot topic conversations that are happening today, but rather that darkness would run because we walk in hope and in love and in grace and in resurrection power. Right? Jesus was not intimidated of, of the darkness. He was light in the darkness. And ultimately, we see also that miracles were present in the ministry of Jesus. And we said that we want to do life like Jesus. We want to count the cost. We know that following Jesus means that we're going to have to pick up a cross. We say that we're going to have to, we know that God's called us to do life together. This is not about an isolated superhero. The body of Christ is one. We also said we want to, be light in darkness. We don't want to be intimidated of the darkness. We want to take the light of Jesus Christ no matter where he leads us. And we said we need the miraculous power of God to affirm and to work in our midst. And that's the vision for life, right? That's, we see Jesus and the way he did life and ministry, and we say, that's it. That's what I want. I want to be team ministry oriented. I want to count the cost. I want to be a person who's light in the darkness, absolutely, and I want God's miraculous power to follow me when I do his will. I want God's power to be in the midst of what I do for him. Anybody with me? These are things that we desire, and so that was the vision. Hold on to that, okay? That's the vision. That's the deal. That's where we want to be as a people. That's who we want to be as the rock. And today, as we continue to die, we're going to look at goals. 
How do we become that person? How do we live that life? As we look at the teachings of Jesus, more exactly, we're looking at the character of those people who are surrendered to the kingdom of God, the character of the people who actually are followers of Jesus. And we begin to dive into that. We say, okay, we want the character of the scriptures, the, the character that Jesus says the believer needs to have, the kingdom person needs to have. I want that to be my character. And hey, like a good old and healthy uh, uh, AA meeting, my name is Carlos, and the character of the Bible is not exactly the character that I have sometimes. I'm just confessing before you. Anybody with me? Jesus said some things that I am working towards. There are some things that God is working in me, and so we're going to be diving into understanding that reality. Now, as we look at the life or the teachings of Jesus, it is important to know it is, it is for those who say yes. The teaching of Jesus would make no sense. Living this way would make no sense if you don't first say, I am completely 100% sold out. Okay, yes, Jesus, here I am. I say yes. Because some of the things that God wants us to look as valuable and some of the things that God calls us to give up, if we don't say yes, it's just going to be hard to live and to allow the word of God to do the work that God intends to do in our lives. Okay? So many of us, two weeks ago, we had an altar call, and all of us, so it seemed like all of us were at the altar, and we said, yeah, we're in. We want to be just like Jesus. We want to be just like Jesus. So I believe that this message will speak to all of us today. So go with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 on down reads this way. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, Rachel, blessed are you, Tara, blessed are you, Jonathan, when you are persecuted. Yay! persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, as we turn to your word and the teaching of your word, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, thank you that you're a patient God, working in us the character of the kingdom. Uh, anoint us to receive, to hear your word, to preach it today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So the scripture begins by telling us that Jesus was up on a mountainside. This is very important, right? Because uh, you got to remember there weren't no mics, there were no speakers. 
And often you find Jesus either by a large body of water or you find him up at a mountainside. Why? Because he was pressed by the people. There were thousands of people surrounding him all the time. And so he used the natural elements to help him to be able to project his voice and teach his message. Now, when you see that he was up at the mountainside, I want you to notice that even though the people were pressing around her, people were coming to him, his message was primarily for his disciples. Because he says, and he waited for the disciples to gather around him. And it's very important. Because there are always going to be people who are around Jesus. There are those people who are going to be on the outskirts, and those people are going to be right close to him. And here you find Jesus, he's waiting for his disciples because this message is not necessarily a message of salvation. It's not a message of, hey, will you follow me? These guys already said yes to following Jesus, right? So he's waiting for his disciples because he's about to instruct them about the way of the kingdom. The Bible says that he opened his mouth and declared. Two things that the Hebrew uh, person would understand, a Jewish person would understand. is Number one, he sat down and then he opened his mouth to make a declaration. So in every, every town where the Jews lived, there were synagogues. There was only one temple, and, and that was in Jerusalem. And that's where the sacrifices was made and all that stuff. And the sacrifices were only made in the temple. But wherever there was a gathering or a community of Jews, there was a synagogue. And the synagogue was a place of teaching. And the posture of the teacher would be that the teacher would sit down, and then he would begin to declare his teaching. And so the idea that it's saying that he opened his mouth and began to declare, it's actually saying he formally began to instruct them in his teaching. So what is Jesus teaching here? We know this is the Sermon of the Mount uh, that's broken up into different sections. But really what Jesus is teaching is a discourse on discipleship. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. It is the message of the kingdom. This is what it looked like, what it looks like when the king of heaven is the king of your heart and his rule changes you from the inside out, right? So this is what Jesus is beginning to declare here in Matthew chapter 5, which is primarily for his disciples. The outskirts of people around could hear, but it was primarily for his disciples in hopes that they would say, yeah, I want the character of God. And in hopes that those around would say, whoa, that's a high calling, do I really want to get that close to Jesus? Because let me just tell you something. When God speaks to you and speaks to you and speaks to you and speaks to you, he keeps calling you up. And as he calls you up, it means there's a place you got to let go of. And sometimes that means there are people you got to let go of. Sometimes that means there are positions and comforts that you have to let go of. Because he's calling you up. And when he's calling you up, he's actually asking you, do you value me more than the things that you find comfort in right now? There's, there's a constant calling up that Jesus is making. And so here this message is the message of the kingdom. It's a declaration of what it means to be ruled by the kingdom. David Gusick has a commentary that says, The Sermon on the Mount does not deal with salvation as such, but it lays out for the disciple and the potential disciple how regarding Jesus as king translates into ethics and daily living. How to let the kingship of Jesus rule in our hearts. Remember, the Bible instructs us that we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, that means, God, here I am. You're worthy of worship and adoration. 
I'm more interested with your will than mine. What is it? And that's not just something that we're supposed to see in heaven, but right now, right here. God is looking for people who are interested in God's will here on earth. So, Matthew then presents to us the meat of the teachings of Jesus. And we may read this Sermon on the Mount that begins in chapter 5 and then it's chapter 7. And we may think that Jesus was just rattling off all these lessons. Bam, 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 bam. But it more than likely didn't happen that way because that would be an overload. Try to read Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in one sitting and it's overwhelming. I mean, you could do it. Some of us actually do it because we got like a Bible plan and we got to check the checklist off. But let me encourage you. I'm not a big fan of subtitles sometimes in the Bible, but here in this case, I am a big fan because it helps you break up the scriptures in chunks and just eat it for a while. Maybe we should just sit and eat the Beatitudes and just say, okay, I need to, I need to eat this for a while. It's a lot, right? So what Matthew is actually doing is giving us, giving us a concise version probably of all that Jesus taught throughout his life and ministry. This was the message of Jesus. This is what Jesus always said to us. This is what we're supposed to hold on to. Now, what is the focus of the message of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 through 7? It's very simple. That which God favors and looks to bless and that which is supposed to be our character who we are supposed to be as kingdom representatives. That's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Now, Jesus was basically sharing with his disciples. I want you to just see this. Jesus was basically saying to them, okay, guys, you signed up. You said yes to the call. You said yes to counting the cost. You said yes to um, um, doing life in community. And you said yes to miraculous power. That's your vision for life. This is how we're going to get there. This is what I'm going to work in you. So we see here Jesus discipling the disciples. We see Jesus now saying to them, this is my goal for you. This is really cool. Anybody have a, a fitness trainer? You know, you go to the gym, that person has, it's like, no, we're saved faster. We're totally delivered from any vain appearances. We don't do fitness training. We do French fries at Mickey D's. <laughs> well, you know, you know, but you know, when you go to a fitness trainer or whatever it may be, they have a goal. Say, hey, you want to get there? You give them your goal. I want to get here. Here's the vision. It's okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to work on. So Jesus, as he begins to teach, because this is the character of those people who are kingdom representatives. And he begins to dive into these things that we're not even going to dive into today. Because to be quite honest, as I was preparing this stuff, I thought, Lord, that may be too much. I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to focus on the why. You need to focus on why it's so important before you even dive in understanding the Beatitudes and what it means to be blessed because you mourn and to be blessed because you're persecuted, that you're blessed because you're persecuted. And, and what does all that mean? But Okay, so what I, what I want to share with you today is just simply this. There was a vision for life that God, Jesus gave the disciples. The disciples said yes, and then Jesus began to teach them uh, how they're supposed to live, how they were supposed to walk, right, in order to make way for the kingdom of God in their hearts and in their lives. Do you want to make, make way for the kingdom of God in your heart and in your life? If that's the case, 
And you're saying a resounding yes. I want to live for the Lord and not just for me. There are several things I'm just going to share with you and we're going to close today. Number one, our attitude needs a Jesus makeover. <laughs> our attitude needs a Jesus makeover. And we live in a culture where we, that, this kind of word attitude, I think, has loose, it lost its definition. Because when, when somebody says that person has an attitude, we automatically assume they're in a bad mood all the time. But everybody has an attitude, right? Everybody has an attitude. An attitude it is it's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. Let me repeat that. An attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. Right? So when I have, attitude about, I have an attitude about a lot of things. You know, whether good or bad, we have a disposition about things. And when we come to Jesus, before he reveals anything, before he starts diving deep in, a, in anything, we have to admit and confess, Lord, our attitude about life and ministry and people and our surroundings needs a radical extreme makeover. Because we don't see things as clearly as we think we do. We have to be able to say, Lord Jesus, I recognize at this moment that I say yes to you, that I quite possibly may not be right about everything. I'm convinced that I'm right. But Lord, there is a possibility that there may be areas in my life that are not exactly like you. I doubt it. But in the slim chance that there are areas in my life that are not exactly like you, you know, I'm kidding, right? You know, there's more than a slim chance. The problem is, is that we're so accustomed to our attitudes and the way that we interpret the world that we think we're right. And in a sense, that's the way we do life and we survive. We think we're right about certain judgments that we make. And so we kind of carry on with these ideas, but they're not true. Sometimes they're very wrong and they can really affect the way that we interpret the world. I told you, I'll say this many times, it's one of the most perfect ways I could describe it. When I first came to the United States in Orlando, I knew two things. Mickey Mouse was really close. And I knew that kids were kidnapped all the time because we got this slip in the mailbox with little kids who were kidnapped all the time. So I thought, one day I'm going to see Kit Mickey so long as I don't get kidnapped. <laughs> I guess the only, I didn't understand English. So I was a really afraid kid growing up. Because like, why? how come kids are getting kidnapped all the time? This is crazy. You know, I would hide in the closet because if somebody was knocking on the door, for sure, it's my kidnapper. Right? It's like the way I interpreted the world. Right? It was the wrong way of interpreting the world. And a lot of us have those kinds of dispositions. They're not so funny. We have a disposition that everybody's always against me. So I go into new places expecting somebody to be against me. So even though we don't verbalize it, we walk into places like this. Yeah, my name's Carlos. How you doing? Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Right? And we don't realize it, but everything about our demeanor communicates an attitude. And Jesus sees through all that. 
And he's going to take some time to address that because you ain't ready for Jesus to unpack that all at once. Neither am I. Think about the disciples of Jesus. Peter's, Peter had his foot in his mouth always and was rebuked regularly for it. John and James asked to be given positions in heaven. <laughs> they said, we want to be on your right and on your left. And Jesus said, what are, you don't even know what you're asking. <laughs> there was a guy named Simon the Selet who had ill intentions towards Rome. He was ready to, you know, go to war against Romans. There was a guy named Matthew who worked for Rome, who was oppre oppressing the people of God. There's a guy, Nathaniel, who's prejudiced. He says, Nazareth. There's nothing good that can come out of Nazareth. There's, a, there's an attitude that the disciples all had about Samaria. They hated Samaritans. They could not stand the fact that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. And when they were about to leave Samaria, one of them said, hey, you want us to call fire from heaven to burn them up? And Jesus says, you do not have the heart of God. And you think a little bit further about Saul. Saul went about persecuting the church, thinking that he was, and you know what the issue is? All of these people think they're 100% right before God. They think they're 100%, they're convinced that they're honoring God with their attitude about someone and something. And you know what the killer thing is? You and I are the same. You and I are exactly the same. But thank, but thank be to God for his grace that will stop us on our tracks and say, hey, Saul, what are you doing? It's not my will. Right? All of these people had a perspective. They all thought that they were right. You know what we tend to do is instead of going to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, would you change my thinking? I want to be like you. Would you illuminate me things that don't look like you? We just assume that Jesus is just like us. We just assume that. We go through life assuming that we're just like Jesus, and we do life just like Jesus. Instead of constantly praying, God, show me in my heart there's anything that doesn't please you. So that's why we have all kinds of different pictures of Jesus. Have you seen the different pictures of Jesus? If we go to the next slide, you, know, you got all these different representations. <laughs> and you know, when I see all these, I'm like, you know, oh, there's Jamaican Jesus. Oh, there's 90210 Jesus. Oh, there's telenovela Jesus. Maria, yo tengo que hacer la voluntad de Dios. You gotta, but there's this guy in the middle who I think is just like Jesus. I don't know, there's something about him. I, I don't know if it's the hairdo or... <laughs> do you know, we, we all do that. It's a silly way to do it. But we all tend to think that we think just like Jesus, act just like Jesus. Don't you think we need the Holy Spirit to show us when we're, uh, we're needing some correction? <laughs> we all do this. And so it's going to take some humility. And we have to get to a point where we first say to God, Lord, Lord, I give you permission to make over my attitude about life and others. Yeah. Is it possible to change the way you think? Absolutely. Look at what the Bible says. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That means it's possible to change the way you think. 
Romans 12, 1, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, God wants you to engage in the transformation process of your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want us to really focus here. For though we walk in the flesh, though we live here in this world, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't do war like the people in this, who belong to this world do. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And where are those strongholds, by the way? We destroy arguments and every exalted or lofty opinion that races against the knowledge of God. And where do those opinions and those arguments race up? In the mind. That's why we take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, the war is here. Where's the stronghold? Here. Well, not here. I'm a believer and I'm saved. And therefore, because I'm saved and I said yes to Jesus, I have no strongholds. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> we have strongholds. We have strongholds. And we overcome them by turning to the word of God and having a relationship with Jesus day by day. And as we say yes to Jesus in that relationship, relationship, he reveals to us where those strongholds are. He says, I need to remove that from you so that you can see clearly, so that you can walk into the character that I have for you. It's possible, but here's the deal. You have to engage. You and I have to engage in allowing God to transform our thinking and our attitude. Second, if we say yes to Jesus and to his vision for our lives, we have to be teachable. We have to be teachable. Let me just say this. Oftentimes we go through things in life over and over again because we've not learned from our mistakes. My name is Carlos. There have been many a times in many a ways, where I go through some things over and over again because I haven't learned from my mistakes. Okay? I'm just going to confess it. It's true. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. I hope that doesn't happen again. Can I, can I get a witness? It's true. But listen, sometimes you and I go through things over and over again, not because of mistakes, but because we need to be perfected. Where's the joy? Where, did the joy leave the house all of a sudden? <laughs> God has assigned for you to go through the same test over and over again because he's perfecting you. Maybe you have an athlete here. Anybody play basketball here? Got some basketball players here, right? You got to shoot that jump shot over and over again to perfect your form. You got to practice to perfect your form. And so is the way of the kingdom. God says, ooh, Carlos, I see in you that you have a desire to please people. I'm going to break that. Let me give you this test. Okay, good. That wasn't so bad. That was like a D minus. Okay, let's get you to C. All right, that was C. Okay, that's better. All right, let's do it again. Oh, I'm so tired of this test. <laughs> right? And then we get to this place, but God keeps us revisiting certain things because he's perfecting us. He's getting us to a point where we are perfecting the deal, and God is interested in us being perfected in the character of the kingdom. So sometimes... We're going through the same test, not because we're failing, but because God is perfecting us. Okay? Being teachable also means engaging with the lesson that God puts at your lap, even when you're tired of it. 
Being teachable says that you're going to be okay with whatever lesson the Lord brings your way, even when you're tired of it. Unteachable responses sound like this. I already know this. I don't have to visit this again. I already know this. Unteachable response sounds like this. I'm so tired of this being brought up to me. You know, maybe a faithful sister or a faithful brother is bringing up to you something and you don't like it. Uh, Can I just share with you that sometimes some of the lessons that God will bring your way are not lessons you're going to like? And somebody may be bringing something up to you again and you'll say, you know, I do not like that this is being brought up to me again. I'm so tired of this. I'm over it. I already know this. Well, maybe that's the time to say, well, Holy Spirit, you allowed this to come up again. So maybe I should maybe consider that there's something I'm supposed to learn here. Anybody with me? And then, can I just say this? An unteachable response is saying something like, you know, that's a sore issue for me that you bring that up, and I'm offended that you did. Being unteachable also means being quickly offended. And so we need to ask ourselves, because if it's a character issue, issue church, let me just tell you, if it's a character issue, you're not going to get it in one lesson. You're just not going to get it in one lesson. And the father knows that. He has like first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth. He's got levels. And he's okay with that. Are you going to be okay with that? Are we going to be okay with it? Because there's no way that he can give it to us, to, uh, to us all at once. So we have to be teachable. And then if you could stand with me, we'll close with this. So we're going to dive again into the Beatitudes, right, and the character of the people of the kingdom. But in order for us to say yes to that, we have to, we, these are three things that I felt the Lord wanted me to really give you today. Number one, we need, it, we need to accept that we need an extreme makeover in our attitude. Number two, we need to accept that we need to be teachable before him. We got to see what unteachable responses may be. We got to understand that some of the lessons that we're going through over and over again is because God is trying to get us to be perfected in that. But the last thing I want to share with you is this. Saying yes to Jesus. This is not a popular one. We may not like this one. Saying yes to Jesus means that you're saying no to something else. Saying yes to Jesus means that you're ultimately saying no to something else. And I'm going to say this is not popular. This doesn't preach in many circles. But here's the truth. If you say yes to kingdom living, to, say, to Jesus, you're going to have to pass up on earthly rewards. God, is, God may call you to invest in things you have no desire to invest in. God may call you to give up relationships that you have no desire to give up. God may call you to limit, I don't know, the amount of time that you work so that instead of getting rich on this earth, you get rich in your spirit. God may call you to do certain things that will not get you to advance in this world financially, but will get you to advance in the kingdom of heaven. When we look at the Beatitudes next week or the character of the kingdom, you'll notice all of the rewards are for the hereafter. You will inherit the earth. Yours is the kingdom of God. 
And all of these things, Jesus is trying to get the disciple to do what? He wants you and I to value eternal rewards above earthly rewards. And I want you to understand that God will bless you here on this earth. He will. But there are times where blessings on earth can be a cursing, can be, can be a mistake. They're not really blessings from God because they keep us from having an eternal perspective. Right? And keep us from investing ourselves and our hearts into the things of the kingdom. And if you're going to say yes to the character of God, you got to be willing to count your losses for the kingdom. Somebody once said, well, you know, I ran into this man. Uh, Dr. Rutland said this as he was ministering to a young man. He said this man became completely bankrupt. And uh, he was just pleading before God, God, please help me. And so we be I began to pray for him. And wouldn't you know it, God just blessed him years later. I talked to him. I said, how are you doing? He says, oh, Pastor, I'm doing great. You know, God has blessed me. I was faithful to him. I began to give to him. And, you know, God has given me more than I can think of or imagine. I'm super prosperous. And the pastor says, well, are you obedient now? Are you giving to God like he's called you to give? Are you tithing? He said, well, Pastor, no, no. You know, I, I, can't, I can't really do that now. That, it, that would be too much. I mean, can you imagine tithing off of X amount of money? That, that'd be too much. And Dr. Rutland said, okay, well, listen, let's ask for God to bring you the level of poverty that you need to bring you back to obedience. Because you need to, the kingdom reward is much better than earthly reward. So you got to ask yourself, we're going to dive into the character of the kingdom. Are you willing to say yes to kingdom rewards, even if it means no to earthly ones? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus.